any nonprofit doing incredible work is exciting and thrilling, but then to also connect the community and say, here's how you can get involved and partner. I think that's really what, what I love about fundraising. From Virtuous, I'm Noah Barnett, and this is the Responsive Fundraising Podcast, a show where we talk with fundraising leaders and thinkers to uncover how today's top nonprofits craft remarkable donor experiences and build lasting relationships at scale. On this episode, I'm joined by Casey Davis. She's the Interim Executive Director at the Diabetes Research Connection. And all around, she's just an experienced fundraiser that has core competencies that range from major gift, solicitation, and stewardship programs, to annual fund strategy and administration, grant writing, event planning, volunteer engagement, board management, etc. All that to say that she is truly a full-stack fundraiser and her experience leading an organization during a tough transition in 2020, which was already tough already, was an inspiring story. And so we dig into that and more and really look at Casey's optimism for the future, which I think is a huge takeaway for all of us as we lead our go forward strategies this year. Let's dive into the conversation with Casey. Casey, you're currently serving as like the interim executive director at the Diabetes Research Connection. But before we dive into your work there and how you all have navigated 2020, I would love to just understand why did you end up in fundraising? You know, I'm always curious what that squiggle or path was for our guests. Yeah, well, thanks, Noah. I I love that you use the word squiggle um, because it was definitely not a straight line to get me into full-time fundraising. I originally, I'm born and raised here in San Diego, California, and upon graduating in 2007 from a local university, I got into the nonprofit sector here and was excited. I originally wanted to be a lawyer, and then when I started connecting more and more with nonprofit services, I just loved what they were doing on the ground, entry-level, grassroots. Um, It was really exciting as a 20-something to get to see myself directly implementing change in my community. And then I transitioned to a position where we, it was a small nonprofit and we had to fundraise for a percentage of our salary and then overall the costs of the organization. And in that, at first I hated fundraising. Um, It was like the necessary evil. And I just had to confront all of my own issues with money. You're talking to other people's issues with money all the time. Um, And I did not really enjoy it. Well, a couple of years into it, I started to really like it. Um, a lot of my strengths and skill sets are around strategic thinking. So I loved the combination of fundraising being both an art and a science where it's so relational, but it's also so strategic. So as I continue to grow, I started to coach other staff. Um, I started to serve in a position where I moved away from more direct um, social service type of nonprofit work and did more high level management around fundraising. And then I started to decide I wanted to transition and see every single type of fundraising in the sector, meaning I went to a conservancy um, and did fundraising for a park. Then I went to a health foundation foundation. We did fundraising for obviously the hospital, but also specifically we did it for equipment um, that was in the hospital. And In that time, I started grant writing. I got my grant writing certification. And 
just really loved, again, the world of philanthropy. Yeah. And I appreciate you kind of sharing how, like, you didn't set out to go into this work, but kind of discovered the program and the impact side, because I do think that's how a lot of people end up in fundraising, or at least the good ones. They they care about the outcome, they care about the donors, and they care about, you know, the purpose of what fundraising does. And then they kind of fall in love with the act of fundraising, the process, the, you know, the meetings with donors and phone calls and emails and like asking good questions. And I see that as pretty, pretty common. I I would just say that I think my philosophy of fundraising specifically has been around maintaining relationships, networking, and also seeing every connection with someone as an opportunity to learn how we can partner together. That's kind of just my personality. And I started to realize as I was meeting with anybody, a friend for coffee, somebody I met at, you know, um, a happy hour, wherever, I would say, you know, let's meet. And when we would meet, we'd always discover somewhere our lives collided or something that we were both interested in. And that really is the, the art of fundraising is mission matching, finding what those around you would like to do and, and how they like to invest in the work that they care about, even if they don't know what the work is. So that was kind of my process and it evolved into consulting. Um, so I've consulted for a handful of different nonprofits and just being connected to any nonprofit doing incredible work is exciting and thrilling, but then to also connect the community and say, here's how you can get involved and partner. I think that's really what, what I love about fundraising. Use the word mission matching. I would, I would love for you to talk a little bit more to that because I think it's a, it captures, as you said, a lot of what great fundraising really is. The challenge is how do you do that well as a fundraiser knowing that you're fundraising for a specific cause, but the intention of mission matching requires you to really uncover what the heart is of the supporter and if that does end up matching. So could you walk us through just a little bit more on how you approach mission matching with your donors? Yeah. And I will say I'm getting my nonprofit, um, I'm sorry, my master's in nonprofit management and leadership. So sometimes I use buzzwords because my weekends and nights are consist of writing papers. Um, and I'm currently in a philanthropy class. <laughs> so a lot of times I'll say these, these words. So thanks for asking to define it. <laughs> um, for me, you know, mission matching in general, like I said, it's kind of a philosophy of life. I, I'm one of those people that when I'm, again, out to coffee or drinks or hanging out with somebody and they say, oh, I really want to know more about X. I'm always trying to connect them to someone who can, um, if it's like, oh, I really want to, you know, volunteer at a shelter, then I'm like, oh, I know five people uh, that work in shelters locally who would love to have you. Here's their names and numbers right now. I'm going to set up a, you know, introduction, an email introduction right now so you can get connected. I'm, I always am thinking about how people can connect um, to the places that they want to and where they can grow and give back. So that's kind of the overarching principle for me of, of mission matching. It goes beyond me and the organization I work for. While I love the organization I work for, um, otherwise I wouldn't be here, I think philanthropy is so much bigger than the job that you have, right? It's, it, if I'm not engaging in mission matching in my daily life, you know, and I don't believe in it, then it can just become this job and it only gets done in this specific context. So how I do it within the organization I currently work for, I typically get 
referrals or connections to individuals who are affected by or impacted with type 1 diabetes because that's the mission of the organization I work for. Diabetes Research Connection matches early career scientists directly to donors who want to fund their research projects. So it's around type 1 diabetes. Um, So I normally have that to connect with people. Uh, Either they know a board member or they have a loved one or a neighbor that has type 1. So we already have that connection, if you will. So the mission matching piece for me becomes what excites them most about what we're doing. So when I joined this organization, they had one typical donor profile, and it was whoever was connected to the co-founder who has type 1 diabetes and has had it for over 60 years, or to other board members. And I started to realize that once we did this annual dance for diabetes, that was, is super fun, can't wait to do it again in person, um, we started to have this evolving donor profile. We had friends of friends who came who maybe didn't have type 1 or weren't connected to type 1 diabetes. So learning how to connect them to the organization where they would fit. Um, So that became something bigger than, do they specifically connect to our mission of research? They might not 100% even understand the, the scientific world of research, but somehow they got connected to our organization and they care. So how can I get them more involved in a way that would be fulfilling and exciting to them? Yeah, and I think that's very interesting. And I know that's a common philosophy I've heard um, with other guests on just how do you actually approach this? How do you find those common connections? And then how do you really grow kind of like-minded donors through those types of connections as well? And now that we've talked about kind of like the uh, philosophy of fundraising or your approach, I know, you know, like many fundraisers and leaders of nonprofits uh, have had an, uh, an interesting year. You know, there's a lot of things that have happened in 2020 from the global pandemic to social unrest and highlighting, you know, in, in inequities. Um, there's been wildfires. There's been climate issues. There's been an election. Uh, take us back six, seven months, you know, when you and your team really had to make some changes and pivots. And, and how did your strategy change and what didn't change for you and the team in 2020? <laughs> that is such a good question. Um, yeah, this has been a very interesting year. Uh, part of when I joined the team, the DRC team in 2018, I was consulting before, but then full-time in 2018, I brought in the cultivation calendar, if you will, of including events. We need more in-person contact points. We need touch points. We need, you know, if you want to call it the Uh, entry points for people to get connected to our organization. So we started to do smaller gatherings and and mini fundraisers at restaurants. And um, we would host uh, researchers would come and speak and you could connect to them and ask them questions. So we started to do these mini events, um, mid-size events. And then we we had one annual event. And I should say we launched our annual event in 2018. That was the first year. And we, it was great, wildly successful but it was our first one and it raised about 50% of our revenue, our organization's revenue. So (laughs) when going into 2020, uh, we were signing all of our contracts in March for our annual fundraising event, which is held in September and realized, oh, we might not be able to have this. Um, Not only because of the restrictions on events, but because we work with type one diabetics and often they have complications because of the autoimmune disease that they have, 
we wouldn't want to expose anybody to any situation that could potentially be harmful uh, in any way. So we started to, you know, slowly stop the planning of the events, um, all small scale events. And, and at that time, I, I don't want to use the word pivot because I feel like that word has been so overused in, in the pandemic, but I, I understand its need. We transitioned um, to just connecting with our supporters right where they're at. So I picked up the phone and called, you know, hundreds of our donors and contacts and basically just asked them how they were. Um, so conversations about how they were passing time in the pandemic and, um, you know, conversations about what they're planting in their gardens and, you know, how are they staying sane and what do they need from us? What could we provide? While our mission is to fund research, is there any way that we could, this is the question we were asking at the time, is there any way we could engage with our community in a new way, considering the circumstances that we're all in? So we started virtual gatherings, mini um, gatherings. I think we've held about five now since that time and no, six. And those were where we would actually have one of our supported early career scientists do a Zoom call, a Zoom webinar, and, and share about the findings of their projects uh, currently that they were working on or if they had gone on to receive additional funding and were in a new lab. So we thought this would be a way to directly connect our community to the researchers they're supporting. Um, we also decided to do some virtual gatherings on mental health. We have a um, retired psychiatrist on our board. And so she did a virtual gathering around self-care and, you know, how to manage anxiety and stress during a pandemic. And we just kind of started to shift things that we normally hadn't offered to our community. We wanted to do that. Um, so we recognized really quickly that we had a, de a higher demand for resources um, from our community, people needing help locating ways to get insulin because, maybe they were traveling and they're not home or whatever. So yeah, it was a lot of just connecting with people, seeing what they need and finding the ways that we could help them um, with no agenda or motive necessarily to say, oh, and please make a donation. You know, the long-term strategy, I guess you could say is hopefully those people, you know, in the future can come back and go, oh, I really loved how DRC interacted with me during a difficult time. And I, I'd love to join their community as a supporter. And that's, that's probably the long-term hope, but overall we were thrilled to be able to offer support to our community. And um, we also did our virtual, <laughs> our dance for diabetes went virtual in September. <laughs> and that was a interesting experience for everybody. But overall, we were really excited that we were able to do something different. And our community reached out to us and said, thank you so much for trying to adjust to these times, you know, it's really awkward to hold a dance uh, virtually, <laughs> but, but we did our best and it was a, it turned out to be really fun. Yeah. And it's so encouraging to see the creativity on how, whether you call it pivot or just evolve um, on what didn't change is the commitment to deliver resources for the impacted population that you serve with type one diabetes and also the commitment to that mission of connecting supporters to the story and maybe how you all have done that, whether it was through these connection calls with scientists between, you know, the scientists and your supporter network, which is incredible because you're connecting the givers to the good or the outcomes um, to your, or your supporters to the outcomes or like the uh, additional benefits that you all offered through the self-care session or now with this opportunity to kind of say, Hey, let's 
realize that this is silly to do a virtual dance, but we're okay because we're committed to being, you know, and participating together because that's what matters. It's us showing up together uh, for this cause is so important. And that creativity is something I've seen consistent across all organizations. The constraints has generated creativity uh, for many to still continue to serve their cause. And it's so encouraging. I have what I guess like thinking now, you know, we're in November 2020. What what has this year taught you about fundraising that you maybe didn't know or hadn't fully realized? And what is your outlook for end of year in 2021? Yeah, you know, I think, oh man, the I guess well, twofold. What I've learned, because it's I feel like I'm learning every day. I'm just a student. I'm that's no matter how much education and experience you have in fundraising, I think everything that has been revealed during this time <laughs> has shaken at its very core <laughs> what it means to um, be a professional fundraiser or, or, you know, work in nonprofit fundraising. But I think I really have seen um, the commitment of our supporters. I, I, I don't want to say I was surprised, but I was really excited to see so many supporters say, hey, you know, how can we help? Um, and even through such uncertain times for, for them as well. And I wasn't really expecting anything from anybody. And to see people say, we want to be on this committee for this event. We want to do Zoom calls and help you plan. And, you know, how can we help? I think that has been so encouraging um, to see that deeper commitment to the organization and the mission and really what we call the DRC family. Um, and we're smaller. We're a smaller organization and younger. And so it really does feel like a family. And I think the other piece that I've been really reflecting on is this has been a time where so many nonprofits have been forced to close their doors, unfortunately, and sadly enough. But I have also seen that we have stayed committed to our mission in 2020, meaning we still have funded research. We didn't pull any funding from research projects. We continued to fund new research. In fact, we had four times the amount of LOIs, meaning early career scientists who applied for our grant funding this summer than ever before. And we were committed. We've actually funded more research than we had even planned on. We have funded the most research this year than ever before. (laughs) So that has also been encouraging to see that not only our community is so committed um, to the DRC family and dedicated to its mission, but that while many organizations have had to close and change different things they're doing and, you know, cut costs, if you will, in really drastic ways that we've been fortunate enough to continue to, and I don't want to say we're raising all the funds and that's why we are, we're able to raise a percentage of it, but also it's reserves. It's having a board that's very fiscally responsible who set us up really well for a situation like this. Um, So I think those are some of the things I've been reflecting on a lot. And I've been really thankful for about our organization and that we haven't had to cut staff and we have lost staff and there's been change and transition, but that we weren't forced to do any of those things, which I think has been great. Oh gosh, going into 2021. Um. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm just curious. I, I know uh, there's so many like unknowns, but I'm, I'm curious on where your mind goes or kind of what you're thinking through as you plan for 2021 in a season of uncertainty. Yeah. Because I know many of our listeners are going through that exact same thing right now. And so I'm curious where your head's at, Casey. 
Yeah. I, I mean, I'm just trying to get through 2020. <laughs> so at this point, but I think that's actually everyone's response just now. They're like 2021. No, thank you. <laughs> let's just, let's just let get through me, this first. Let me finish 2020. Um, you know, because end of the year is such a push for fundraising anyway. So I, I should add, I'm the interim executive director and I started about four months ago. I think this is my fourth month and it has been a huge transition. Um, you know, obviously in COVID, but to go from full-time fundraising to obviously a management position that's overseeing an entire organization during a global pandemic. It's, it's been a huge adjustment to say the least, but I have realized that I need to end 2020 strong, stronger and as strong as we can in fundraising. November is national diabetes awareness month. So this is a really pivotal time for our organization to go out and raise awareness of what type one is, um, how many people are affected and impacted by type one diabetes and resources, right? Um, But also what we're doing to research to find a cure and minimize complications and provide better treatment for those affected by this disease. So that push with the year end push of December is really just taking all of our focus right now. Um, We're really wanting to highlight the stories of those in our community um, during this time, because I think that Stories are so powerful, but also I think that everybody, I don't want to say everybody's lonely, but we all miss each other. (laughs) We all miss each other and and hearing what um, is going on in one another's life. And I think that there's something about sharing your story of triumph and and living with this disease and and when you were diagnosed and what that is like has been really um, inspiring for our community, if you will, and encouraging. So that's kind of my focus right now. Going into 2021, we're looking to expand our our team um, and we want to really just get set up well to be able to do the work that we do as efficiently and smoothly as possible. So that's one big focus. I think fundraising wise, I mean, my hope is that we can have our annual gala in person. <laughs> That's a huge, huge hope. But I have learned that we have to diversify our revenue sources, right? You can't just rely on one big event a year. So that's another thing I've learned. Um, so 2021 is going to be a continued year of creativity and innovation. And innovation is one of our core values. So it's right in line with what we're doing. Um, but finding ways for our community to continue to feel connected Um, We actually grew our board by three board members within the last month, uh, which has been fascinating and so exciting. I did not expect it. But seeing how these board members can create new subcommittees and um, grow us. DRC really wants to continue to expand and, and function as a business, too, as well, you know, meaning how can we have subcommittees that are focusing on our all areas of what we're doing and continue to enhance our services? So that's kind of the broad picture of what I'm thinking for 2021 Um, growth in staff, really establishing our organization systems like subcommittees so that we can do even more work. Um, I don't want to say more work. We can further the work that we're currently doing, right. And bring it to the next level and finding creative and new ways to cultivate our current and prospective donors in ways Um, that may have to continue to be outside of in-person events. I think many of those changes and pivots and kind of continued conversations are things that many of our listeners will resonate with as they look ahead uh, to 2021 as well. Uh, You mentioned year end and stuff that you're doing um, at year end. I know there's been a lot of like commentary around organizations really seeing the economic impact of 2020 
in their end of year results. Um, how does that look for you all? And are you seeing the same thing as far as your fundraising levels um, as you kind of look to the end of the year? Yeah, I remember reading an article, right? I think it was right when the quarantine went into effect in, in March, late March. And they had said, you know, 51% of donors are saying they won't give to the causes that they love. Um, and I don't remember, I mean, I've, I've read a million articles that say all kinds of different statistics, but realizing that a lot of donors are transitioning some of their giving to COVID relief efforts, which completely makes sense. And again, in the world of philanthropy, that makes me happy. I, I like to see that people are still giving to the causes that they care about or to other causes. I'm, that's encouraging to me. Um, as for our donors, what we've noticed more than anything, because I've, I've also heard that a lot of our donors are waiting. They, they were waiting to make their annual contributions until after the election, um, you know, and things like that to really understand the impact of what they give and how they give. So we've seen that as well. Obviously, there's been job loss and job change, so that's going to impact donors. But what I've noticed more than anything is the amount of donations. I feel like we've seen smaller donations from annual donors or even new donors. Um, you know, our average donation at, at an in-person gathering during our fund need, which is our paddle raise portion, was between an average, I'm saying, was like 250 to 500. So if we had people giving 1,000 to 5,000, the average person for a 300-person event was higher. Uh, with this online virtual gathering, the average donation was $40, you know, along those lines. Again, we aren't even able to track all the people that watched our event on YouTube. <laughs> we were only able to track those who RSVP'd. So again, this is a, a hard system to use to really understand who attended and, and to pull any statistics from. But I've noticed that I, I believe overall, yes, our year end will be impacted, um, that there may be lower amount of donations or individuals who are waiting to donate to 2021. Um, and maybe from the conversations I've had, some donors are saying they want to get their finances in, in order or they're nervous that there'll be another lockdown. So they want to save um, and things like that. Overall, I do see our committed donors who have given, again, I'm saying we're younger, so who've given over the last few years consistently are still giving consistently. And if they're not, most of them are communicating with us why and, and what they're hoping to do. And it's not necessarily conversations that are ending in, I'm not going to give, or I'm never going to give. It's more like, hold on, <laughs> let me figure out what's going on and I'll give again. Indeed, indeed. I think we all have to kind of look optimistically, but also know that there's a lot of unknown variables right now. You know, we're again, we're sitting here in November and the news headlines are all about increased uh, cases and levels of COVID and potential lockdowns. I know California obviously is pretty proactive on this front uh, and also East Coast cities are being proactive as we head into the Thanksgiving holiday. But in the same light, it's complemented by articles that are celebrating, you know, 95% success rates with vaccines. And so I do think that conflict between those two headlines in the midst of kind of economic kind of stalling and growing on the stock market and then coupled with kind of a presidential uh, kind of uh, election cycle of a transition, there's a lot of factors that our donors are dealing with. And I know a big part of when I was in fundraising is we have to remember, though we have priorities as an organization, our donors also have priorities and fears and concerns. And how do we bridge the gap and have empathy uh, where they're at so that we can look at 
the circumstances and how they want to steward their resources from a shared vantage point uh, rather than just from our own and trying to pull in resources, rather activating supporters' resources. And so those are all those are all good insights. Yeah, I would add to, you know, it's so hard to report on the trends, fundraising trends right now for our organization because there is so much uncertainty. And I continue to find myself will, you know, do our projected cash flow and say, how are we going to end 2020? And okay, we're probably going to have this this amount of deficit because we think we're going to bring in, you know, approximately X amount of donations. And then we run a campaign like in June, right, you know, a couple of months into the quarantine and, you know, California is strict and we have been strict. And so everyone's at home and, and isolating and social distancing. And we ran a campaign, a matching grant campaign for $100,000 and we matched it within days. I mean, like no problem. And I was shocked because from the conversations I was having with so many other fundraising professionals and executive directors, they were saying, oh man, we're not even making asks because our donors aren't even able to give anything or we're taking these huge hits. So I have no idea why they, you know, our community rallied around and was so, so generous in the conversations I've had. So many of them have said, well, we don't want to see your doors close and we believe in your mission. And we're so excited that you're still able to fund research in these uncertain times. But at the end of the day, I think it's going to have to be far into 2021 before I ever even begin to understand what the giving trends for our organization were this year. Well, on that note, Casey, I think we're all looking, hopefully, uh, and optimistically, I know generosity is resilient. That's something we've seen and believe here at Virtuous. Any final thoughts or um, maybe one to two practical things you would encourage other development leaders, um, nonprofit leaders listening to this? What, what should they keep in focus as they head into 2021? I love that phrase, generosity is resilient. That is such a cool phrase. Um, you know, I think the practical tips for 2021 planning around any fundraising strategy would be to hold it lightly. Um, I think that at times we can get so caught up as fundraisers in the strategy that we use every year, right? We use this cultivation calendar and, and this is the pipeline and this is how many prospects we need. And this is the amount of major donors we need. And, you know, it's very structured. Um, there's no guarantee right now going into this new year of what, <laughs> these, these things will look like. So hold plans lightly, obviously still create the plans, right? Um, but hold them lightly. And then again, I don't want to sound, this might not sound as, as practical as possible to say, be creative, but really think through one, ask your, your community what they need. I would say interview and call and send out surveys to your donors ending this year and say, what was helpful this year that we did? How can we continue to engage you in new ways? What do you need? What do you like? What do you not like? Did you not like that we sent emails every week? Okay, why? And really get honest feedback from your community and then respond to it. I think that that builds trust and building trust is foundational to cultivating genuine and dedicated relationships with your organization. So yeah, I would say, make those plans, hold them lightly, continue to get creative and think through, okay, you know, if we cannot gather in person, you know, this is what our events will look like for the next three months. If we can, you know, have plan A, plan B, plan C, um, so that you can kind of continue to move with the times. 
that was one thing, again, I wish that we had kind of had that set up. I know none of us saw this coming, but to have our 50% of our revenue come from one event, right? Diversifying our, our, our revenue and saying, oh, we should probably also do all these other things. It's pushed us in that place. So those would be my, my main thoughts. And again, do whatever you can. Get on the phone, talk to donors, talk to prospects. Don't make asks, you know, just talk to them. Hear what they're going through, uh, empathize, offer resources and support and, and listen to them and what they would want to see your organization do going into the new year. And on that, we'll, we'll close there. Casey, I really appreciate your time and just hope the best as you continue to lead your organization forward into the end of the year and, you know, come up with brilliant research for type one diabetes. It's such a worthwhile cause um, and grateful for, for your work on that. Great. Thank you so much, Noah. It's been my pleasure. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Responsive Fundraising Podcast by Virtuous. Each episode we've designed to really give you the insights into the philosophy, process, and playbook of leading nonprofits so that you can grow giving and build deeper relationships with the people who matter most, your donors. And if you want to dig further into responsive fundraising, we've actually put together an exclusive content pack just for listeners of this podcast. If you go to virtuouscrm.com slash podcast, that's virtuouscrm.com slash podcast, you can download a content kit that includes the responsive fundraising blueprint, which outlines all of the strategies that are involved in implementing responsive fundraising. You'll also get the responsive fundraising playbook, which includes 20 plus plays, which are basically strategies that you can implement today at your nonprofit to become more responsive and ultimately raise retention and increase giving. We'll also throw in a bunch of other resources and content that is going to be helpful for you as you think about how you're applying responsive fundraising at your nonprofit. And it's completely free. You can grab that at virtuouscrm.com slash podcast. Thank you.